You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, hey, Northway Church family, it's good to be with you again. Uh, we're still in our Summer in the Psalms series, so if you have a Bible or your device, go ahead and get to Psalm 67. We're going to be in Psalm 67. As you're turning there, my name's Jonathan, one of the ministers here. It really is a gift to open God's Word for you. Um, Psalm 67 is where we're going to be. I'm just going to read it for us. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your name may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So for many of us, it's not a super common psalm. It's um, it's that some of the phrases in it in particular are common, but it might not be one that we immediately recall, like a Psalm 23 we've gone for. We've talked about what to do with fear, or like a Psalm 88, what to do with darkness, or Psalm 32, 51, what to do with, with sinfulness and brokenness. And But now we get to this psalm, and it's, it's this picture of what do we do, in a sense, with the blessing of God and the purposes of God. And so as we jump in today, yeah, just... So glad to be with you. Proud of you for not growing weary and doing good and continue to engage with us online and sit under the hearing of God's word. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into today. Father, we love you. We do confess together as a church family that your word under your spirit really are enough for your people. So I just pray that you would speak. I pray that you would illumine your word wherever our people might be sitting or those that are just tuning in with us. I pray that you would speak to us today in such a way to change the trajectory of our life and the trajectory of others' lives. I just pray forever. Uh, God, we love you. and We're eager to dive into your word. For your name we pray, amen. Hey, well, one of the most uh, interesting bodies of water, I think, has got to be the Dead Sea. Like if you've heard anything about it, uh, where, you know, you go to the beach and, and hang out in that salt water a little bit, most, most bodies of water, most oceans have about 3% salt content. The Dead Sea has over 30% salt content. The Dead Sea has been, been known to be the, the lowest place on earth. And what's unique about the Dead Sea is it has inlet, but it has no outlet. So the Dead Sea has rivers, the Jordan River, namely, that flow into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea has nothing that flows from it. And because of this, this is why it's been said, I've never done it, but apparently you can float there, which is exciting. Nothing lives there and nothing grows there, hence the Dead Sea, hello. But the unique thing about the the Dead Sea is it having inlet and no outlet means that anything that tries to grow can't grow and anything that attempts to bring life can't have life. I mean, this is what happens when, when something like, like water that's meant to, to flow and to bring life begins to pool. That which was supposed to be blessing now becomes devastating. Like we were at the beach recently and, and my son was over at the, this part of a lake that had pooled and had no outlet. And, and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, like I hear this man going crazy and basically being like, get off it, get off it. And like, I don't know what's happening, but my son Judah is standing 
standing on, on the, like the skeleton of a dead fish. And this man's freaking out. So like run over, try to get him off. It's shocking that it was Judah. Not really, but he's doing that. And, and, and I realized, I mean, and same connection here, like th- this, this water that is meant to flow from a waterhead and flow and bring life has pooled together. And, and the things that are there are dead. The things that are there don't produce life. And for us as Christians, here's the way it swings. Uh, We are not called to be those that just sit under the flow, the waters of God's blessing. We're not just to be those that sit under them and let them flow to us. But the way things are designed, the way true life is designed is that we would sit under the water of God's great blessing and let it flow to us, yes, but in such a way that it would flow to others. In other words, we are, we're channels, we're not cul-de-sacs. We are those that the blessing of God flows to us, but it doesn't stop on us, it spreads through us. We are those that are called to be blessed in such a way that we might be a blessing. And that's what we're jumping into today. Uh, we're, we're gonna preach and lean into the idea of, of the overflow of blessing. This main theme of that God blesses us, that we be a blessing, or more particularly that God blesses us, that we be a blessing by him being praised among all peoples. If you need a table of contents for Psalm 67, and that's helpful for you, we're gonna talk first about that theme, that we're blessed to be a blessing, and we're gonna just follow the verbs which just credit to men like H.B. Charles Jr. and John Piper who have done similar to this text. We're just gonna follow the verbs, which is always a great way to do in Bible study and see that we're blessed to be a blessing. And the blessing is that God would be known, that God would be praised, and God would be feared among all peoples. That's what we're gonna follow. And at the end, we'll just talk about two things that kind of clog up or stop this flow, our blessing. And so verse one, the psalmist just says, and we don't know who wrote this particular psalm or the exact circumstances, but he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Like if you're hearing that, you're probably hearing the echo of like popular song, The Blessing going around right now. And and basically that is from number six. And the psalmist in Psalm 67 has taken that blessing, um, kind of consolidated it to its main parts. And instead of it being personal, which isn't a bad thing necessarily of, of bless me, he's made it corporate. God, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face to shine upon us. And then instead of it ending on us and, and ending on our family, he's gonna spin it in such a way to align with the purpose of God so that it goes to all families. And he says, God, be gracious to us. And it's this idea of God, like we're desperate for your mercy. We're desperate for your grace. God, we need you to intervene. Like we need your forgiving mercy and grace in our lives. But he doesn't just say, God, be gracious to us. He says, God, would you, would you bless us? And so uh, when we started this series in Psalm 1, Shay talked about this idea of blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but this person that's meditating on the word of God. And, but it's not the same blessed. Shay talked about that blessed is, means happy. And it's this idea of leaning into what uh, human flourishing is, the way gods have designed things. But this word is the Hebrew word barak. And this word to bless, uh, one definition is this idea of being filled with strength. And I love that. The way we're gonna define blessing today is this idea of being filled with strength so that you can fulfill God's purposes. We see this other places where this word is used. One of the first times it's used in scripture is Genesis 1:28. Here's how the Bible reads. It says, God, God blessed them. It's Adam and Eve. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So you see God comes and he blesses them. He gives them what, what they need in order to fulfill his purposes. Now go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The famous uh, Genesis 12, one through three. 
which people have said that this very Psalm could have been written about, about this text in Genesis. God appears to Abram and it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and your name shall be great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So don't hear that word blessing and just think something you receive. We gotta hear the word blessing and think something that we receive, yes, because you need to remember that, but also something that we extend to others that we, that we give. Blessing also, we hear that at times and, and we shy away from it, if I'm honest, I do. At times like I haven't talked about it in the past because I'm like, man, I think that's connected with some prosperity gospel stuff and people just talk about blessing means no difficulty. But we see clearly in the context here that blessing can't mean no difficulty. In fact, when God gives this promise to Abram, this is crazy, um, his wife is barren and there's a famine in the land. And so there's all these brokenness, uh, ideas of brokenness and things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But God says, I'm, I'm blessing you and I'm blessing you so that you might be a blessing to all peoples. And so blessing can't just mean no difficulty. It's gotta mean this idea of like in the midst of the difficulty, God is filling us with strength to fulfill his purposes. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me today. Like wherever, wherever you find yourselves where you lack strength or the ability to do what God's called you to, or, or there's this, I can't go on anymore, or, or I, I, I don't think I have what I need. It's this, this idea of God comes to a people and fills them with strength and fills them with the exact things that they need so that those people might fulfill his purposes. But the psalmist goes on, God be gracious to us, God bless us, and God make your face, make your face shine upon us. When you hear that, um, it kind of gives us this moment of a flashback of the Old Testament in Exodus 33 and 34, where, where Moses was before God. And Moses is basically saying to God in Exodus 33, God, if you don't go with me, like I'm not gonna leave these people, which is just a great prayer. Like, God, I can't do this. And the task you've called me to do, if, if you don't go with me, I can't do it. And God says, I'll be with you. And then Moses brings this bold request and says, well, God, then show me your glory. And God is basically like, you, you don't know what you're asking for because for you to see me, means you're not living anymore. So here's what I'll do. I will hide you in the cleft of this rock and I'll come beside you and around and I'll kind of cover you with my hand so that all you see is my back. And so this happens and God proclaims his name to Moses, his covenant keeping name and his character, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And the text in 34 says, when Moses goes back down the mountain to see the people, like his face is just lit up. Like his face is shining from encountering the favor presence and glory of God. So this is what the psalmist is asking for. He's saying, God, we, we long for your favor. We long for your presence. We long for your glory. So be gracious to us. Need your mercy and forgiveness. Bless us. Need you to fill us with strength for what you called us to and make your face to shine upon us. God, longing for your favor and your glory and your presence. Before we move on, I just love you to stop for a moment and ask for that, if you would, just to stop Pause the video if you need to, and just pray that prayer. God wants you to ask for that from this psalm. It's shaping us that way. God, God, would you be gracious to us? Would you bless us? And would you make your face to shine upon us? Let's do that now. 
But here's what's amazing about this psalm. The text, the text doesn't end there. It keeps flowing because when God blesses us, he doesn't do it in such a way that only we would be blessed. He, he does it in such a way that others would be blessed. He connects blessing to his great purposes. Verse two, that, or some translations really explicit, so that your way may be known on earth your saving power would be known among all nations. Here's the first of our verbs. Again, known, fear, or known, praise, and feared. So known, the prayer, the asking is that, God, we want your ways to be made known on earth. And this is the most natural thing that happens after you experience the life of God and the blessings of God and the restoration of God in your own life is it's stirring in such a way as you're longing for that to go public. You're longing for others to know this God who is, who is knowable. And the psalmist is praying this here, and, and it's amazing. He prays, um, if you think about the context, this is a God who's gracious and a God who is just, we'll see later, and a God who is guiding and a God who, who blesses and is joyful. And the psalmist is praying that I, I long for you to be known. Let's, let's be people that make this God known. This is why he blesses us. But then he goes on, besides just making him known, he says, I want your saving power to be made known among all nations. In fact, uh, the idea that God, you alone can save, like the exclusivity of you, God, Jesus, who's the way, truth, and life. I want your salvation to be made known among all nations. And in this text, and nations uh, explicitly here is like non-Hebrew people, like Gentiles, those that hadn't seen the glory and presence and blessing of God. I want that to be extended to them. But the majority of the time when this type of idea is spoken about in the scriptures, this idea of, of nations and peoples, it's talking about not countries, but people groups. We talked about this before in our DNA series, a few different messages we hit on this, but he's talking about people groups here. And essentially a people group is defined by a group of people that share the same language and culture. And so the reason it's hard to cross people groups, our, our mobilization team has been so helpful in this. They give an analogy of thinking about the difference between like waffles and pancakes and syrup. Okay, so this is like getting to my level now. Hopefully this is helpful. So you think about like, if you throw that, that syrup on the pancake, like it's just going wherever it wants. But if you try to throw it in the waffle, like there's barriers there in that waffle where, where what has to be, uh, that syrup's got to cross that barrier to get into that next square. Okay, helping you out here, people. But essentially um, when it comes to people groups, the, the barriers are the squares, so to say, our language and culture. So if you're going to share the gospel, you're gonna bump up against a wall of, okay, now we need to enter a new culture and a new language. And so this is what the scriptures talk about when it talks about peoples a lot. We're talking about his praise being made known among all peoples. And right now, like as I'm preaching, according to the Joshua Project, there are about 7,000 or so people groups that have, have not heard, uh, don't know about this God, don't know about his saving powers. Thinking even today, you could easily get on something in, uh, like an app of Joshua Project or others and look at the unreach of the day. Today, the boy car beamed in India, 0% Christian, 0%, 513,000 people. They speak um, Hindi. Their, their main religion is Hinduism and they don't know the saving power of our God. And the psalmist is saying, God bless us in such a way that that story changes. So one of the ways that the Psalms shape our feeling and thinking and, and acting is that we sing these things and we pray these things. So I just wanna have you stop again and just in light of this first known idea, would you just pause the video for a second? And it could be a simple, just sentence prayer. Would you pray, God, this blessing that you've given me, I just prayed for, would you use me to be a blessing? And the first overflow, would you use me that your saving power would be made known among the nations? Let's pray that here for a minute.
we've got the first overflow, which is that God would be made known among all nations. And here, verses three through five, go to the next one. Look at it with me. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. So there's a few different ways to like use the English word let's, right? We know this, but let's play together. There's let's of permission, like, 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 like will you let me go? There's, there's a let of invitation. Hey, let's go to the party. Let's go to this thing. There's a let of resignation, like fine, like whatever. He's gonna do what he wants, just let him go. But this isn't invitation or resignation. It, this is more longing. This is how the psalm, psalmist is trying to, to translate the idea of this text of longing. Like almost really like, God, please let them live. This is this longing of let the peoples praise you, oh God. That this psalm isn't just changing what we ask for and what we pray for, but now it's showing us it's trying to change the things that we, we long for. And so first you see the psalmist longing for the praise of God among all peoples. I just wonder, um, man, do, do you long for that? Like, do you long for his praise among all peoples? And maybe even a, a different question, like, do you, do you recognize that he really wants to use you? Do I recognize, do we recognize that he wants to use us? Um, his praise may be known among all peoples. It's, it's the very next place you would go from being known that now the God who is known would actually be praised. Couple things on this. One, this isn't this isn't different for the scriptures because we know all throughout the scriptures, God He loves His praise. Like He's set on His praise. He loves. He is passionately committed to His fame and His glory and His renown and His praise among all peoples. It's it's all throughout the story of the scripture. And Brady said it well last week. You know, C.S. Lewis had this idea of like when he first heard this about God. He was like, man, he must be like some insecure author. You know, it's like bringing out his old books from Half Price Books. And like, have you seen these before? Like, well, you, you want me to sign them? And people are like, no, we don't care. You know, he, he's trying to elicit his own praise and people don't care. But then Lewis began to realize, no, this is what everyone does, right? You see something and you're like, man, that's beautiful. That person's amazing. Wow, that's majestic. And, and Lewis began to understand this is what people do when they're captured by something. But we could take it a step further from Lewis and realize not only is it just what people do, but this is what God's doing and what God's committed to. And, and because God's committed to it and because he's praiseworthy, it means that God's committed to the best thing for us. Like the most treasuring, praiseworthy, trembleworthy, amazing thing you could give your life to praising. It's, it's him, so he's loving to point us to that. But it's all throughout the scriptures. Psalm 96, one through four. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. This is what Brady hit on last week, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This is where the Psalms lead us to ultimately. Psalm 150, the last one, verse six. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so this is what God's about. Like he, he's bent on his praise and it's for our good. It's the most loving thing he could do to point us there. It also brings us to this idea of when it calls to the, the call of God in our lives to make him known, to mission of making him known, it reminds us that worship is central. This is what John Piper hits on in his like renowned book, Let the Nations Be Glad. I was reading over that chapter on worship this last week and just remind myself of that. And he's got this famous quote where he says this, he says, missions exists 
because worship doesn't. And the reason that is, is because God is central in the story, not just man, and because one day worship will continue among all tribes and peoples and tongues, but mission will no longer be the story. And so missions only exist because worship doesn't. And so there's this God that's bent on his praise, who's calling praise for all people. And that that's primary. And I just wonder if you ever sit um, like in your workplace or too soon maybe for that, across that Zoom call and, and you're, you're seeing coworkers and, and just as God birthing this longing of you, God, I wanna see your praise among all peoples. I wanna see your praise in, in Jim and Jerry and Sherry and all these people that I work with. Maybe some of you work with them, but I, I want to see your praise made known there, God. That's the longing of my heart. And this is what the psalmist is calling us to and invite us into this type of longing and this type of stirring. He doesn't just stop there. There's a second element. He says, let, let the peoples be glad and sing for joy that we see the, the psalmist says not only longing that God would use him, that, that his praise would be known among the nations, but he's longing that God would use him, that all people would enjoy him, not just praise him. And those things are one and the same because you can't enjoy something without praising it ultimately. And anything that you praise, ultimately you have enjoyed. But I think this is helpful for us because I don't know about you, but growing up when it comes to, to God, like the thing that, like the verb that would come before God many times was not enjoy. And that's just beautiful that God calls us, of course, to many good things that are not separate from that. Obey him, praise him, but he calls us to enjoy him, to like prize him, not just praise him, to cherish him. And so the psalmist says two things of why the people's are glad. Why are they singing for joy? For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. He says, God, they're, they're singing to you and they're joyful because you, you're a righteous judge and you're a sovereign shepherd. Those things are put together. This righteousness of God who judges rightly and this one who guides like a good shepherd that those things are put together that seem opposite and, and the nations are rejoicing in that. Here's the thing, where, where God is king, people shout for joy. This is why it's so strange to to have and want the benefits of God, but not God himself, to want the gifts of God, but not the giver, to see God as useful, but not precious, to want his kingdom, but to not want his reign as a king. Like it would be like tasting this amazing food um, at a friend's house and like longing to have that food again, but never, never going back to the source and knowing like the company that put that food together, the chef that made it and getting to know the giver behind the gift. And so you would never get to experience the true blessing. Psalm 96 talks about the way that all creation, like as well, is just gonna rejoice in the fact that God is judged. And it says this, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So all of creation in this Psalm is freaking out. Trees are clapping their hands. Fields are getting excited. And why? Because God's coming as a judge. Why is that so exciting? Because the psalmist is painting this picture of a God who's going to set everything right one day. Isn't that amazing? And, and he's longing for the people to get to know 
Uh, that yes, everything's gonna be set right, but there's a God behind that who's setting everything right. And do you know the God behind the, 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 the justice that he's gonna bring apart? It's amazing. This is why Charlie Dates famously said this. He talked about the gospel. He says, the gospel is when we who are sinners are made righteous before God. We have peace with God. We've been justified. And he talks about righteousness is credited to our account, our sin depleted accounts. At the cross, God got justice and we got righteousness. So now in the church, we who are righteous ought to be out fighting for justice. But he goes on to say this, but now today we're witnessing the emergence of a new generation of Americans who are fascinated with justice, but they haven't met the king of righteousness. Do you, do you hear what Dr. Dates is saying there? He's saying it's two sides of the coin. Because of the good news of the gospel and the cross of Christ, we are those who are out fighting for justice. And we say amen to that. And that presses on, on some of our, our hearts and like our minds. But then he, then he flips the coin the other way and he says, but there are those who are out talking about justice and they don't know the author of righteousness. They know about the kingdom. They don't know the king. They know about his benefits. They don't know the blessing of the giver. They, 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 he's useful to them, but he's not beautiful because they haven't met the source of the very thing that they're putting into practice. And it's this longing of the psalmist of God. They've got to know and praise you, the one who's the giver of every good gift, the one who's guide who's gracious, who is just and loving, a God who blesses us. But then the psalmist goes on and it's not just um, asking for him to be known. It's not just longing for his praise to be known and enjoyed among all peoples, but he goes to, to one more overflow in the last two verses in six and seven. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. And man, some translations, um, I think hit it, uh, the, the, the heart a little better here, like NIV and CSB and net to say, God will bless us. God will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him um, or let all the ends of the earth will fear him, which is what the verbs in that verse are getting at. It's this idea, last overflow, we've been blessed that he'd be known among all uh, nations, that he would be praised among all peoples. And now that he would be feared to the ends of the earth. That word fear like conjures up, I think weird stuff in us at times of like, I'd be feared. Like, what does that mean? It was A.W. Tozer who said, to fear and not be afraid. This is the paradox of faith. I just love that quote. It was in Psalm 30 where the psalmist said, oh Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. Therefore, you're feared. So there's gotta be a, a different type of fear that we think because there's this psalmist saying, God, you forgave all my sins. So I'm gonna fear you. And there's this, this reminder of fear, but not be afraid. And when you look at that word fear, many times in the scriptures, it's, it can be translated awe or fear. If you begin to dig into it, you see that, that the idea is this reverential fear, this like awe and worship, this he's praiseworthy and he's tremble worthy, like, like this, this reverential fear of God. And the psalmist is not just now asking that that would be made true among all peoples. He's not just longing. Now he's calling us to confident believe that this, this is gonna happen, that we would be people that confidently believe God has and will bless us. And we'd be people that confidently believe that God will be feared to the ends of the earth. And so I just love for you to stop for a minute and lie those last two. Would you just pray for a minute? Would you pray and ask God, God, would you, would you fill me with longing for your praise and enjoyment among peoples? Then God, would you fear, fill, me, fill me with belief that this is gonna happen, that you are gonna be praised?
So if you have a minute, just pause the video and just ask for that for a second. Ask God to give you that type of longing for his praise among all peoples and to give you that type of belief that he will be feared to the ends of the earth. I think in light of where we've gone, there's, there's two things that stop the flow. If we are those that have been blessed, that God might bless us. And if the blessing is that God would be known and praised, enjoyed, and feared among all nations, two things I think stop the flow. And they're both, they're both related to unbelief. Here's the first. Um, there's this idea from the text that in Jesus, no, God will bless you. And if we're honest, many of us are, are skeptical to that idea. Like we're skeptical that God, would, would, he, would he really like bless me? Can he really bless me? Will he really bless me? You might've entered some, some dark places in your life in the past, or, or you might've been in some dark places in this COVID season, or you might be in some dark places right now where you don't see the light and life that's in Jesus. You just see darkness and emptiness and deadness and no feeling at all, where it, you might feel like a curse instead of blessed. It might be because of your own sin or the sin of someone else or brokenness out there, a spiritual attack, but you might feel more like that your life has been cursed or that you're cursed versus blessed. And man, can I just um, lovingly uh, take your gaze and um, push it from, from you to, to the God-man, to Jesus Christ, this is Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Here's what it says. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So you see what the text is saying? It's saying God, um, second member of the Trinity, the God man, Jesus Christ, who had all blessings and all honor and all power, he laid it aside and he came amidst this curse ridden world, amidst this brokenness and curse and people that were cursed because of the brokenness of sin. He stepped into that cursed world and he himself, shocking, became a curse for us, dying in our place and for our sins on the cross so that the curse could be reversed. And so that the blessings might now flow uh, to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the sin payment that's ours in Jesus Christ, and that our life story might be turned and 180 and that we might be renamed and repurposed for the things that matter most. And the text goes on to remind us of kind of where we started with Genesis 12 and Abraham so that this happens so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that blessing might even come to Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so all of a sudden that blessing of the line of Christ and Abraham's family, that might be true to come to you and I today, that that bloodline would extend and we would get to be a part of the family of God. And for some of you, one of the reasons that the overflows that we talked about, this idea of, of being those that, that take blessing and extend it, one of the reasons that that can't be true is because, because your faith is not in Jesus Christ. You haven't stepped into faith in him. And man, might today be the day where you just profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you get to come under the blessing that is in him. And I think for some of us who are Christians, like, like we're just wrestling. It's not, it's not a matter of whether we're in Christ or not. We are in Christ. But, but we, we're, we're doubting with a little bit of unbelief, skeptical to whether God could really do these things that the author's talking about. And again, just would call you to look to Jesus. Look to the way Jesus loves and deals with people. Look to the story of scriptures where God takes people who you wouldn't think he would bless or you wouldn't think he'd extend his line through. And he actually br brings his very blessing through that family, through that man, through that woman. 
Scott Sauls in his book, A Gentle Answer, disarming, in the chapter, Disarming the Cynic in Us, talks about how Jacob had been uh, not blessed, but cursed by his dad. And he'd been a liar and deceiver his whole life. And he talks about Nathaniel, who basically shows up to Jesus and is like, man, Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like he like mocks Jesus to his face. And Saul's talks about that God brings blessing in an unlikely way to those very two people. And won't he do it for us too? He says this, the unloved son who all his life had been marked by a curse from his father became the recipient of the greatest paternal blessing of all the blessing of being renamed and repurposed by Yahweh, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of all who come to know Jesus as rabbi. Jacob was deceitful, Nathaniel was abrasive, yet both of them received a blessing instead of a curse. From the same divine lips, Jacob was no longer called a liar, and Nathaniel was called a truth teller. Isn't such kindness almost too much to take in? And that this is the God that we serve. But not just, not just some of us like skeptical to a God that would he bless me? Is this promise really for me? Is he blessing me now? But secondly, I think the second thing that stops the flow, it's not just skepticism, but I think weariness. Weariness is one of the things that stops the flow for many of us, if we're honest right now. Is God really doing this? Like, is God really bringing blessing to all? Is he really being known and feared and praised among all? Like, it doesn't look like it. Like, I don't know about you, but if I can just be honest, like, I'm weary. There's been parts in Kate and I's parenting where we've been weary. In our marriage, we've been weary. And in, in news headlines, we've been weary. Just over the brokenness in the world, over the COVID realities, over being zoomed out, just one thing after another, just this, this weariness. I think that's one of the things as well that can stop us from leaning in and believing the promises of God. But what the text is calling us to do is that, in fact, to lean into the promises of God, to, to follow the thread of his promises, to, to be formed like the song that we sang, to be formed by his promises, not be formed by feelings, not be formed by circumstances, be formed. What an incredible opportunity this COVID season could be to be formed by his promises instead, to follow the thread of his promises. There's a famous children's book called The Princess and the Goblins. And I had heard Tim Keller give this analogy for it. And now we're reading it with our daughter, Maya. And so it's hard, like when you've heard an analogy, like you're reading the book and it's just, it's coming to you like time after time after time. So we'll be there at bed at night, which again, you can judge our parenting later, but we really are reading about like it's late at night. It's like goblins here, goblins there. And there, there's this princess Irene and her whole family knows about goblins that live outside the castle. They only come out at night and they live in the dark of the mountain. And so she can't go out at all. But then she meets her, her fairy godmother and her fairy godmother tells her, and she like loves her. Like she loves being in her presence. She loves being with her, but she can't always see her. And Irene's like, I, I, wanna, I wanna find you again. And the godmother says, here's how you can find me. Take this ring, it's attached to a thread, hold on to it. I'll take one end, you take the other where the ring is. And if you follow the thread, you can find me. But here's what happens. Next time you sense danger, next time you feel weary or, or you're just scared, put the ring under your pillow and just follow the thread and it'll lead, it, lead you right to me. So this night happens where she hears some sounds, hears what appears to be goblins. She puts the ring under the pillow and just begins to follow the thread. But the crazy thing is, instead of leading up the stairs in the palace where she knows her great grandmother is, it leads her outside. And doesn't just lead her outside, it leads her outside deep into the recesses of the very mountain 
where, the, where, where, where darkness and the enemy seems to lay. And so she's so confused, but she keeps following the thread and the promise. And then she gets to this one point where there's this wall of rocks and she can go no further. And so the thread has led her to a literal wall where she has nowhere else to go. And she just falls on the ground and she begins to weep thinking this promise wasn't true. So she thinks I'm going back, I'm out of here. And she starts to go back, but realizes that the thread only goes forward, that the thread it just disappeared behind her, but she can only go forward into the wall in front of her. That will spoil everything, but she essentially begins to go through the wall and see that one of her friends has been lost and trapped there. And then there's more to the story where she begins to follow the thread, but it becomes this beautiful picture of us being people that are formed by the promises of God and follow the thread of God's promises and what he has said to be true versus our feelings about what we can see circumstantially right now in our time and place that we happen to live. This is Abraham in Genesis 22, is it not? That he's been told the blessing is gonna come from him, but now um, his wife's barren, uh, he's still been told that he's believing it. And then in her nineties, uh, his wife has a child. Sarah has a child. And so he's like, yes, the promises of God are true. And then in Genesis 22, he's told to sacrifice his son. And once again, it's like, what? Like the prom where are the promises of God that we would think? But in verse six, he actually looks to his men and says, stay with the donkeys. I and the boy are going over to worship and then we will come again to you. Like that Hebrew word there is called a cohortive. It just means it's confident. Like, it's almost like he's like, we're coming again. You know, I think they would be weirded out. Like, okay, like we know you're coming again. He's like, we are coming again. Like, I know the promises of God. He said, blessings coming through my line. My son's either gonna resurrect from the dead or I don't know what's gonna happen, but God is going to be true to his promises. May we be people tr true to his promises too, that, that lean in in this season and follow the thread and be formed by his promises. And the main way we do that is not just by, by hearing um, stories that I hope make it real to our heart or hearing examples from scripture, but the main way we do that is by seeing the one who followed the thread to the very end. What's interesting is in our text, um, you know, it talks about God's salvation and saving power being made known to all nations. That exact same word is used in Psalm 22, where Jesus, who had called God his father all throughout his life, father, 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 now uses what seems to be the more distant name and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, same word, saving. So here's Jesus. Um, not seeing the promises of God to fruition, honestly bringing his cries before the Lord. What's amazing is later in verse 27 and 28 of Psalm 22, we have this, the one who stepped in and followed the thread and believed the saving power of God, even we couldn't see it. The one who, who died in our place and, 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 and didn't see the goodness of God in that moment clung to this promise so that the last part of Psalm 22 could be true where it says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. What do we do with some of that? Here's the beautiful thing about promises is, is, is promises aren't put before us in the scripture just so we could feel better and be like, yeah, okay, I believe it. They're put there so that we could fight for them, that we would fight for belief. And one of the ways we do that is simply through obedience of leaning in to the very thing he's called. So when we see a promise, it's an opportunity to act and say, God, I believe your promise. So I'm gonna act. Like I'm gonna step into what you've said is gonna happen, what your purposes are gonna be. And I'll just give you a few ideas of how you might practically lean in to these promises. I think one would just be awareness, like awareness of what God is doing, like his praise among the nations. We've got um, something coming up called Nations 101 that was all already mentioned next Sunday. And I just would encourage you uh, to sign up for that and to become aware 
And this season, what a crazy opportunity for witness for us as Christians and to make his praise known among the peoples locally here in nations, globally there, that God would give us creative ways to keep leaning into his promises. He said it's gonna happen. COVID reality or not, brokenness here or not, it's gonna happen. And so one is just um, growing awareness about what God's up to locally or globally. You can grow in awareness as well, not just by going to Nations 101, but you could email our department, mobilization at northwaychurch.com. And we'd love to, uh, to give you connections with um, people that we have overseas or what God's doing here locally. We'd love to help you. And but not just awareness. I think another thing is just leveraging um, parties and leveraging birthdays. And so I think one of the ways to do this, if you, um, if you have a child or for your own birthday is like, what if you were to take the blessing that a birthday is and like line it up with adopting, like a child happens to be with compassion, adopt on the very same day. So as you're celebrating like your child's birthday, you're getting to pray that God's name would be known among those across the nations that don't know him. And then I think lastly, just getting <clears throat> hugely practical, I think meals become an incredible way to do this too. Like meals are one of the most tangible uh, parts of blessing in our culture. And so one of the things we were encouraged to do is, man, when you have a meal, like look up, <clears throat> particularly if it's a meal that, that's connected with a, a different country around the world, like look up like the status of that country and you're eating Thai food and you're realizing that 90% of Thais are Buddhist and you're looking at these prayers for the, for, for the government there from Operation World or some online research and begging that as God's blessing with this good food, just quick prayer before the meal, God, would your name be extended among all peoples? Lots of ways to do that. But I think the biggest thing... Um, just want to do as I close is just wanted to, to pray Psalm 67 for our church, Northway Church, that just would just be true of us. That we'd be a church that is blessed to be a blessing, that we're a church that takes the blessing of God and overflows for the sake of all peoples. But instead of having me do it, um, just have some of the members of our body who are now going to read that Psalm to you as a blessing and a blessing that we might be a blessing to others before we sing together.